Go ahead and have a seat today. And uh, if you're online with us today, we are so glad that you're online with us. Uh, and if you're on campus here today, we're glad you're here too. And we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 through 17. So if you brought a device, a Bible, I would encourage you to open those now. And, uh, you know, here's the thing, can't text. If you have a device, no texting your friends right now. You're listening to Pastor Dan and taking notes, right? Amen? amen. Do I get an amen for that? Come on now. Amen. And so if you have a Bible, that's even better, you know, because I love, I love to watch people. It inspires me to watch people write notes in their Bible because I think, wow, they're going to go back and read this again. And so Colossians chapter number three, uh, let's jump into it today. I'm excited about what we're going to discuss today. So I want to start with a question. How many of you would love to have a more dynamic walk with Jesus? Anybody like that? All right, most of you here, I hope, I hope you raised your hand. If you didn't, I'm going to have to break it after the services. No, I won't, I won't do that. But here's the thing. I, you probably came to church because you probably came here today because you're looking for, for a dynamic relationship with Jesus. You want more than you have. And uh, what I want to show you today with a money-back guarantee, a money-back guarantee that if you will do what I'm going to show you from Colossians, that your relationship with Jesus and with, with God himself will become more dynamic than it is today. And uh, next year at this time, if you practice what I'm going to say, I believe that you will find your relationship with God rich, growing, powerful. So we're going to talk about today three things that bring, three essentials that bring dynamic to the Christian faith. Three things out of Colossians. So here we go. Let's just jump right into it. So these are three simple things, and you're going to wonder why you came to church to, for me to tell you this, because it's right out of the text, but it is so good. So the first thing is, if I'm going to have a dynamic, powerful relationship with Jesus, the first essential thing that I have to add to what I'm doing right now is that I have to pursue the fullness of God's peace in my life. So let me show you that from the Bible. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 15, it says, And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Now, I want you to just, if you brought a Bible or if you have some way to underline your in your device, I want you to take note. I want you to underline the word rule because we're going to come back to that later and talk about what that word literally means. I'm to let the peace that comes from Christ rule in my heart. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. I love that. You have a calling to live in peace and always be thankful. So Jesus said this. He said it this way in John 14. I am leaving you a gift with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So the kind of peace that we're going to talk about today that you're going to learn how to pursue is the kind of peace that the world has no match for. You can't read self-help books. You can't find it any other way. The, the only way that you can discover this kind of peace that I'm going to talk about today is in the presence of Christ in your life in a dynamic way. So this, this piece that we're talking about comes from Christ himself. So let me throw out some words of what that literally means. But let's start with what it doesn't mean. So first of all, uh, I'm going to give you some bad news, and then we're going to get to the good news. Peace that we're going to talk about today does not mean the absence of conflict or trouble. I wish that wasn't true. 
I wish that I could just tell you today, hey, if you just trust Jesus, all your troubles will go away and all your enemies will become your friends. And, uh, and I'm just going to tell you, that's not, that's, that's not uh, reality. The reality is for your life is that even as you walk with Jesus, you're going to develop more enemies <laughs> along the way, not less, because they're not going to like who you are or what you stand for. And the fact is, is that God uses trouble in our life to draw us to himself. And so this isn't the absence of trouble or conflict. So if it's not that, what is the kind of peace that Paul is speaking about here. So let me throw some words out, I think, that will bring clarity of mind in this area. First of all, wholeness. Peace is about being whole from the inside out so you're not needy, so that you are a person that is being developed by God out of wholeness. Another word that I would use to describe is well-being. When I have peace in my life, the kind of peace that Christ has offers me, I have this well-being. And I think another word that I would use is the idea is completeness. I am completed with this peace. I'm to pursue this peace in the, its fullness. And all this is brought about, again, I'm going to say this a couple times to you today, all this is brought about by the presence of Christ. So let's talk about, let's go into the Old Testament for a minute or two. And let's talk about the Hebrew concept of peace. So the Hebrew concept of peace is simply this. It, it comes from a Hebrew word, shalom. And you've probably heard that word before. I mean, who hasn't heard the word shalom? And the reality is, is shalom was a standard greeting. It's how Jewish people say hello and goodbye. So if you were to meet a Jewish person on the street and they recognized you, that Jewish person would probably say shalom. And, uh, and it's not just a greeting. They use it as a greeting, but it's far more than that. So what does shalom mean? In the, in the root of that word, literally what shalom means is everything as it ought to be. When you have shalom on your life, you have everything as it ought to be, not the absence of conflict. What you have is an inner sense of completeness and a wholeness inside of your life. So let me just see if I can give you a word picture that'll help, help you understand how it works out in our life. So I want you to imagine that you're in the, you know, the East and Southeast America, and you are in a hurricane. And so you're right at the edge of the shore, and you can see this hurricane coming, and all of a sudden, the waves start roaring, and they're crashing, and, and uh, it's havoc. It's, you know, the wind is just unbelievable, and it's just wrecking havoc. And then you think about this. You think about, okay, well, what are the fish doing right now? You go down, you go down into the ocean, about maybe 30 or 40 feet deep into the ocean, and life is just as it ought to be. They're not experiencing any, uh, there's clarity, they're just going about whatever fish do during, I don't know what a fish does during its day, but, but whatever a fish does during its day, that's what it's doing, and, and they have no idea that around them, over them, on the top of them, there's this massive storm that's gonna bring destruction. That, my friend, is shalom. In the midst of my struggle, in the midst of my storm, which we all have, in the midst of dealing with conflict and enemies, in the midst of all of that, whatever's raging around me, there's this sense of calmness inside of my life. So that's the Old Testament concept. Now let's talk about the New Testament concept. 
So when you think about the New Testament concept, the Greek word is uh, arene, and the New Testament uses this word, uh, and the, the, the root of this word literally means to join or bind together that which is divided or broken. So have you ever worked with superglue? Okay, so I'm this master guy with superglue, and here's what I, every time I use superglue, this is always what happens when I use it. My two fingers here get stuck together. Has that ever happened to anybody here? Okay, I don't know. You know, and I have to, you know, literally, literally, I've got to rip skin off to get them to be separated. I mean, it's kind of a painful thing. And uh, that's kind of the idea of what peace is in the New Testament concept. It's a binding together of that which is broken. So that's what God does. When, I am, when I'm at peace with God, there is a binding together. It's having it all together and in my life. And, and uh, God is then holding this thing, this thing called life together for me. When we speak of having it all together, by the way, we are speaking of the peace of God in our life. That's what literally it means. The sense of the inner rest, well-being, everything working together, that which is broken in me. And by the way, how many of you have brokenness in your life? Anybody here? Okay, so let's try this one more time. Okay. Thank you, brother. Right there. All right. That's what I'm looking for. How, let me try this one more time. How many of you all have brokenness in your life? Come on now. The rest of you, I'm going to break your arm, and then you'll have brokenness in your, arm, in your life. But the truth is, is that we're all broken. We all say things, do things out of our sense of brokenness that hurt other people, by the way, right? And so we're just this mess moving through life. And in the midst of all that, God brings peace that is a binding together that which is broken in our life. When, we're, when, we're, when we think of our life falling apart, that's the idea of the absence of peace, right? When my life is falling apart, it means that I really don't have peace. So then the next, the million dollar question is simply this. So what do I do with this peace? I'm to pursue it. I'm to pursue peace with all of my heart, with all my mind. I'm to pursue it. It's a gift from God. I'm supposed to grab a hold of it and take it into my life. But what then, when I, once I grab a hold of it, what do I do with this peace? Well, let's go back to our text. It says, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. I had you underline that word, rule. Remember that? So now let's go back to the concept of what that literally means. This word literally comes from a root word which literally means umpiring. Calling strikes, calling balls. So you let the peace of God call the shots inside of your life. And how do I know if I am operating, functioning in peace? How do I know if I'm actually living in the peace of God? The answer is, what will flow out of your life, according to our text, is thankfulness. And be thankful. That's not something I have to manufacture. That's not something that's insincere. That's not something that I'm making up. When I have the peace of God in my life, what happens is, is that out of it, I can't help myself. Out of it flows a life of thank, a thankful heart when peace is there. When I don't have peace in my life, when things are raging inside of me, the exact opposite flows out of my life. Contempt, anger, resentment. Those are all ingredients that suggest that I don't have the peace of God in my life. So if I'm gonna be 
dynamic in my walk with Jesus, I've got to have the peace of God. I can't live without it. This is essential to the Christian life, and it is very powerful. When I find myself in turmoil, it's because I'm going back to my old address where I used to live. I live somewhere new now. I have a new, I have a new address. I have a new future. I have a new, I have a new presence in my life. And so when I'm in turmoil, it's because I'm leading my life out of the old system, not out of the new one. That makes sense? So this is the first principle. First essential to spiritual life is peace. The second essential to walking in a dynamic relationship with Jesus is pursue the fullness of his word. So let me show you that from the Bible. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, here's that phrase again, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So here we go. Uh, the Bible is such an important part of my life, more than I realized. So we're gonna talk a little bit about how important it is for you to engage with God through the Bible every day. I've read many books, but the Bible is the only book that I've ever read that reads me. Do you know what I mean by that? It sometimes causes me to come undone. And you know, this is so funny. People say, say to me all the time, Pastor Dan, have you been listening in? Do you have a crystal ball? Or do you have some mechanism in our home that you know what's going on in our home? You know, because every weekend I come here and it's like you're preaching right to me. Well, it's your wife that keeps telling me. I'm just saying, just keep her quiet. And every, no, I'm not, no, that's not true. The reality is, the reality is, is that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword and even has the capability of dividing joints and marrow. It is the most powerful thing that you have ever experienced, and the Bible then undoes us. The Bible communicates to us in a way that it reads us. It knows where we're at, and it builds us back up. One of the, one of the, what, one of the things that I've discovered is those who read the Bible those who let the Bible direct their life never lose their sense of direction. It's so powerful. So think about the Bible. Let's take a step back. The Bible has always been, in history, banned by dictators because it's a liberating book. Dictators don't want you to be free. It's always been banned by dictators. It has been burned by people who don't want you to be exposed to it. But the reality is, the truth is, and this is what I love most about it, it is one of the most beloved books in all of the world. More widely read than any book in history, yet more frequently attacked than any other book in history. So why do you think that is true? Because the evil one knows that if I let the Bible get a hold of me in such a way that it, God desires it to, then I'll have a changed life. Generations of intellectuals have attempted to discredit it, Dictators of every age have outlawed it and executed those who would read it. Yet, here's what's ironic about the Bible, is that soldiers carry it into battle believing it is more powerful than their weapons that they're carrying. That's the Bible. And it is a tool and a blessing that God has placed into our hands. Chuck Colson, who established Prison Fellowship, 
Uh, he was, I don't know if the younger generation knows who he is, but let me, let me describe who he is. He went to jail, went to prison out of a scandal in American history called Watergate. He was involved in He was guilty. Went to prison, and while he was in prison, had a dramatic conversion to Christ. And when he came out of prison, he established a ministry to the prisons all over this country. Still exists today, very powerful thing. And this is what he writes. This is what Chuck Colson writes. This is his observation. This is what he's seen the Bible do in people's lives. He says, fragments of Bibles smuggled into solitary prison cells have transformed ruthless killers into gentle saints. That's the power of the Bible. God's plan for setting us apart, for making us holy, is accomplished by the truth that's in the Bible. So this is on the night before Jesus was crucified. He has this amazing prayer in John 17. Read it sometime this week. And this is what Jesus prays for you. This is what he prays for you. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. What is the Father's will for your life? The Father's will for your life is for you to open your Bible every day and let it engage with you and let it change your life. God wants to talk to you every day in your life. He does. If we settle for a poor quality of intake of hearing and reading and studying God's Word, then we will severely restrict the main flow of God's sanctifying grace in our lives. So let's talk about that, shall we? So when you have, this is what I've discovered that's true in my life and true in other lives around me, is that we tend to have a hit and miss approach to the Bible. So we get really excited about it, right? Pastor Dan, he, he preaches a message on it, and you, you know, you, you know, you're sitting there convicted, your heart starts pounding a bit, saying, I'm going to start studying my Bible. And so you start for a week and well, maybe five days. And then things come up. I mean, there's that trip to the lake, right? There's that, you know, there's, I got to go out Friday night, obviously. That, I don't have time now. And so what, we ha what happens is, is that we hit and we miss. But what, it, what I want you to he hear me say is that when you put the Bible aside, you are putting aside God's primary means to change your life. That's what he wants to do. The Father's will for you is to talk to you every day from the Bible. And so here's how, here's how I approach the Bible. When I open my Bible, I read. I don't necessarily go, okay, I'm going to read a chapter a day or two chapters a day. I approach the Bible this way. I read the Bible until something strikes me, something I'm curious about, something I don't know, something that is curious to me. And then I close it, and I spend the rest of my day thinking about it. That's how I, that's how I approach the Bible. I don't do it out of a checklist. You know what I mean by that? I'm not just checking off a list saying, oh yeah, I feel good about myself today. I studied my Bible. I did it. No. I let the Word of God, I, I read it until I find something that I think, wow, that's powerful. Or, wow, I don't have no clue what that means. And that happens regularly to me. 
by the way. I have no clue about what that means. And so now I've got to start thinking about, okay, what does that mean? And so I will just, you know, spend my day thinking, studying, and praying about what I learned that day. And I've done this practice for a number of years, and it's working for me. I'm making progress in my Christian faith. And so what I want you to hear me say is that when, I'm going to say this to you one more time, when you set your Bible aside and it becomes something that you can live with or not live with, then what happens is, is that you have strangled the primary means of God's sanctifying grace in your life. That's a fancy word, but what literally it means, God wants to change you. He wants to give you his grace and change you. And when you don't open the scripture, and I, I've been studying the Bible for 43 years now, and this is what I discover. I learn stuff, I learn new stuff every, every time, almost every time, at least every week that I study it. I learn new stuff all the time. So if you're thinking, well, I've been saved for a long time, I know what, I don't need that. I already know. I'm telling you, there's a dynamic to the Bible. And it's not what you know, it's what God does. That makes sense to you? It is a powerful thing. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And if I'm going to have a dynamic relationship with God, what I have to do is I have to pursue the fullness of God's Word in my life every day. And set that as something as, that's a goal in my life, and it will pay dividends, and the result will be the same as pursuing peace. It produces gratitude. It's the same result. So I pursue peace and I pursue his word. There's one final thing that I want, I want you to see. I pursue the fullness of his name. So that's found in Colossians 3.17. And this is what it says. And whatever you do in word or deed, whatever you say and whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. There's that phrase again. Giving thanks to God through him. So the million dollar question is, what, do, what does that mean? I do everything in the name of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you right now, I don't find many Christians that understand this concept. So if I were you, I would lean in just a bit because what I'm going to explain to you could be life-changing to you. So let's just see where God takes us. So first of all, let me just say a couple of preliminary thoughts. So this verse says, I work for Jesus, I play for Jesus. There's no part of my life that shouldn't be touched by Jesus. Whatever I do, I do all in the name of Jesus. My sex life is in the name of Jesus. My play life is in the name of Jesus. My work life is in the name of Jesus. There's nothing I shouldn't do that's outside of the name of Jesus. So let's talk about my work. Let's talk about your work. We work for a global enterprise. So let me talk about that. We have outlets all over the world. This is one of them. We house and feed the poor. We do reconciliation. We do marriage building. But ultimately, we're about altering the purpose and destiny of people's lives. That's our work. We do that in the name of Jesus. So then what does it mean that I do everything in the name of Jesus? So here's where I think I can help you. So whenever you, whenever you think about name, think this. Think character, works, and reputation. Think character. So if I were to call your name out, out here on stage, the people that would know you wouldn't just think about your name. They would think about everything associated with your name, right? Oh, he's a good guy. He's a bad guy. 
whatever you, that you fit, wears it, you know, wear, wear it. But, but the reality is, is that name in the Bible, in the biblical sense of name, whenever you see name, think character, works, reputation, and authority. Those things are what are associated with the name, with name. So if that is true, then I abandon my identity and I live for his. If I'm doing it in his name, so when I think about, oh, this is so good. When I think about the name of Jesus, when I say Jesus, what comes to your mind? What about his character that comes to your, that comes to your mind? Well, I'm going to give you a few things. How about compassion? Jesus was like way over the board compassionate with these sinners like you and me, right? He had great compassion, kindness. He wasn't too busy, he wasn't too busy to touch little children's lives or to stop and heal someone who was sick. Humility, he emptied himself of the right to be regarded as God, took upon the form of a human servant and went to the cross and died for our sins. How about meekness, power under control? Patience, oh, that's a big one, right? Forgiveness, love. I could keep on going and going and going, but here's what I want you to see. In spite of my failures, what it means to name Jesus, what it means to do everything in the name of Jesus is, get this, is to clothe myself with his identity. And what is his identity? I just read it to you. It should be on the screen, though. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, forgiveness, love. That's what it means to do everything in the name of Jesus, is to clothe myself with those characteristics, that identity. I'm not to take on my identity I'm to abandon my identity and take on his. This, am I wrong? Is this what Jesus was known for? His kindness, his compassion, his mercy? That's, what he, that's who he was. That's his very essence. So what I've got to learn to do then through the process of going through life is I've got to take off the old stuff, my old life, which is just the opposite of that. My old life is just the opposite of that. You wrong me, and I'm going to pay you back. That's the old life. I don't want to have compassion. That's the old, you know, for me, the old life was compassionless. I didn't care. I didn't care. But now that I've become a Christ follower, I've learned to shed that old coat and put on something new. And that new is all about the identity of Jesus Christ. And when I begin to do that, what happens is, is my behavior begins to radically change in every way, shape, and form. So can I get a little personal with you today and just talk about how it kind of works itself out? So when I use, this is gonna be a little convicting, when I use the F word, you know what's wrong with that? It doesn't reflect his character. That's the issue. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't wear good with Jesus. If I'm going to put on his identity, compassion and love and kindness and forgiveness, that's a word that expresses contempt. Right? Come on now. Flipping somebody off in the parking lot isn't, isn't, 
taking on, doing everything in the name of Jesus. Could you imagine doing that and saying, I do this in the name of Jesus? I mean, come on now. That's what's wrong with that, is that, you know, and you look and you begin to see this, how this unfolds. When I put on Jesus, when I put Him on, when I put on His identity inside of my life, out of that new identity flows the kind of behavior that God is looking for. It's not manufactured. It's not forced. It just comes, it just flows out of a life that is committed to pursuing the fullness of God's name in every area of my life. Does this make sense to you? So I'm telling you, it's three essential ingredients to the spiritual life, to a dynamic spiritual life. One is pursuing peace, the fullness of peace. Pursuing the fullness of God's Word and pursuing the fullness of God's name. And when I do those three things, I'll, be, I'll fail. I'll fall down. But when I'm pursuing those things with all my heart, what's going to happen is if those, are, if those are the things that are, I set my eyes before, then what will happen is next year at this time, my character will be different. How I think will be different. How I feel will be different out of a life that names Jesus. There's power in his name. Not just in his name. And see, what we do sometimes is we settle for just naming Jesus instead of putting on his character. It's not about rebuking people in Jesus' name. It's not about claiming Jesus' name. There's power in his name. It's not about that at all. It's about putting on his identity. And get this, it's not just about adding Jesus at the end of a prayer in Jesus' name. That's not what it's about. It's about taking on, when I, when I pray a prayer and I pray in Jesus' name, it's I, this is what I'm saying. This is exactly what Jesus would pray for if he were here. That's in Jesus' name. I don't have to use the words. I don't have to say in Jesus' name. I just know this is what Jesus would pray for. That's what it means to pray in Jesus' name. There's power in his name. When you see his name as your identity. Name means identity. It's, it's, it's his character. It's his work. It's his reputation. It's his authority. And I'll tell you, that's life-changing. Once I get that, when the light bulbs come on, that is life-changing when I see it, how it flows out of my life. So it's not my identity. It's his. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for this great truth. And may your spirit cement it forever in our hearts. In Jesus' holy and powerful name I pray. Amen.